Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is trustworthy and true, that we can rely on it, that it's dependable, that it's God-breathed, that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, Lord. So uh, just convict us this morning of our sin and lead us to Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, this morning. We just offer this time up to you in your name. Amen. Amen. So Galatians 5, let's just read it. We're going to read it right through here, and I think it'll come up on the screen, so follow along with me, starting in verse 16. We'll start in 16. It says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So some key points from last week that we talked about. If you remember last week, Paul, we kind of flipped the switch now. No more is he going hammering you with, it's not about the law. He's flipped now to saying, okay, if it's not the law, what then are we to do? And some key points from last week, just to remind you, that through the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you are now free from the law. The grace of God binds you to use your freedom as an opportunity to serve one another in love And that there is now a new way by which you are led. No longer are you led by the external set of laws. You don't need to look to an external moral code to guide you. Rather, now that you've come to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, giving you direction, leading you through all this freedom that you now have. And so walking in the Spirit is the key. Walking in the Spirit is the key. The key to your life being led in opportunities in your freedom to serve others in love. You know, rather than always looking for where the leash ends, rather looking to looking at how far you can pull before that leash pulls you back, just how far you're allowed to gratify the desires of your flesh, Paul says, walk in the Spirit. But after last week, it sounded great, but you might be gone home thinking, but walking in the Spirit isn't just as easy as just saying that, is it? It's easy for me to stand here and just say that. I wish it was. I wish I could just say, don't follow the law, walk in the Spirit, and boom, your life is radically changed for the better. Everyone's lot, you are flipped 180 degrees, you never have any issues again in your life. That's not that easy, is it? It's, it's just not that easy. You know, recently um, we went to a young, uh, a funeral, uh, Jessica and I, we went to a funeral for a young lady who um, in Vancouver uh, lived on the east side, was battling drug addiction her whole life, uh, and she 
about six weeks ago, overdosed and died. Um, her, her twin sister found her dead in her apartment. And so we go to the funeral in East Vancouver. Um, there's a good amount of her friends there, kind of, you know, people that you would think of of downtown east side, homeless uh, people that attended the funeral. And so afterwards we go for dinner. And then we have dinner and we're outside congregating, kind of saying our final goodbyes to each other. And, and a person comes running out saying, there's someone on the floor in the bathroom, motionless. And, and thankfully, someone there had Narcan. They ran in, gave her a, a shot of Narcan. Ambulance shows up. She's okay. But in that moment, as I'm standing there outside, just... <laughs> with all this commotion going on, at the same time that I am just mad, for lack of a better word, I'm mad at just the lack of awareness on this lady's part that she just, you know, we just had a funeral for a girl who overdosed and died, and you can't just take 30 minutes before you go into the bathroom and shoot up. At the same time, my heart is just just furious. It my heart also breaks for, for this group of people who they just have no idea who the Spirit is. They have no idea who Jesus is. The, the, the amount of chaos and just their life is just out of control that they're experiencing. You know, I just wish it was as easy as thumping someone over the head with the Bible and their life would change radically. But it's not that easy, is it? I just wish I could have in that moment said, let me tell you about Jesus, given the gospel, and boom, their lives are instantly changed. The flesh doesn't have any control over them anymore. Now, don't get me wrong, the Lord can do amazing things. The Lord can do anything he wants. But here's the reality of the fallen life that we live in. It's just not that easy. There's a battle going on inside of us all the time between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. You're at war right now. There's a war going on right now between you, inside of you, between the spirit and between the flesh. Look at verse 17. It says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. When you come to Jesus and the Holy Spirit begins dwelling inside of you, you become a new man. Paul says in, in Ephesians, he says this in Ephesians, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. But again, I stand up here saying it's hard. <laughs> Reality is it's hard. The old man clings on to you. When you come to Jesus, there's a battle going on and that battle is between your flesh and between the spirit. And the battle is over who controls your mind and your body. See, the two of these, they don't get along. Inside, there's a fight, a fight between the flesh and a fight between the spirit and the flesh wants to dominate. The flesh and the spirit are opposed to one another. Kind of like the picture of the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other, each trying to pull you one way or another. And the old nature is always looking to try and satisfy its appetite. 
And the new nature is always trying to fight against that. What's the appetite of the flesh? Well, it's satisfy itself with anything but the mercy and grace of God. And in contrast to that, the Holy Spirit is trying to satisfy you with the mercy and grace of God. See, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin and then lead you to Jesus Christ to redeem yourself. Whereas the flesh will convict you of sin and then it'll lead you to the law where you become a slave. You and I have two natures. The first nature is this, you're born, which I assume if you're here, you've been born. You're born into sin. You're born with a sin nature, the gravitational pull that pulls you towards the flesh. That's the first nature you have. The second nature you have, you receive when you're born again. When you come to Jesus, you receive God's Holy Spirit living within you, and that is the gravitational pull that pulls you towards God's righteousness. And both of these pulls are going on inside of you at the same time. Remember, uh, Jesus talks about this uh, to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus one night and he says this. You can follow along, I think. Yeah, you can. Cool. Jesus says this. Jesus answered him in the book of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You were first born with the flesh leading the way. The flesh guides everything that happens. It's what you're most familiar with. You know, you know no other way. That is until you come to the Holy Spirit and you're born again. And the Holy Spirit comes inside of you with a better way. And you realize, man, this is so much better than the first way I knew. But if it's so much better then why doesn't it come naturally for me? Well, like an old dog being taught new tricks, it's hard to let go of the leash. It's hard to let go of the flesh. Have you heard uh, a fab- this fable of, called the scorpion and the frog? It goes like this. There's a scorpion, and he's walking along, and he comes to a river, and it's raging too fast, and he can't cross it. And he looks over, and he sees a frog, and he goes, Hey, buddy. Why don't you give me a ride over the river on your back? I'll jump on your back, you swim us over. And the frog goes, I don't think so, because what if you sting me? And the scorpion goes, well, don't worry, don't worry. That would be silly if I stung you. He, the scorpion reassures him, I'm not going to sting you while we're crossing over, because then that would put, lead to the demise of both of us. We'd both drown. doesn't make any sense. So the frog goes, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, jump on my back. They start swimming over. And about halfway across, across the river, what happens? Scorpion stings the frog. And as they're both drowning, the frog is able to shout out one last exclamation to the scorpion saying, why did you do that? Now we're both going to drown. And the scorpion can only respond saying, it's in my nature. I'm a scorpion. It's what I do. It's like what Paul says in Romans, I do not understand what I do 
For what I want to do, I do not, but what I hate, I do. Why do people do drugs that leads to overdosing? Why do I watch things that I know I shouldn't be watching? Why do I put other things before God? Why do I just get jealous and, and angry out of the blue? Why is my natural inclination to be selfishly ambitious and put others down so that I can get ahead? And all the time, it's at my own demise. Why? Because it's in my nature. It's in my nature. And until you know Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, that's the only nature you know. You don't know any other way. But when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the real work begins inside. And it, it isn't like I wish all the time where the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and boom, you're radically changed and you never do anything wrong again. Rather, what happens? The battle begins, friends. And so what is the answer to yielding to the flesh? It's to be led by the Spirit. To be led by something means to make an active choice. You know, remember, your natural nature, your natural tendency is to be in the flesh. And so you need to make a choice. You need to be seeking God. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be praying. You need to be in fellowship with other believers because the second you take your foot off the gas, the flesh starts to creep back in. And so there's a battle going on. If you haven't heard me say that enough, there's a battle going on. And you need to be able to say no to the flesh which is counter to what our society says nowadays, right? It's nowadays, it's, oh, you, you, hey, you do you. King, queen, you do you. You need to do what's right for you. No one can say no to you. You need to do what makes you happy. You know, I've heard it said there's, there's two good daily habits you should perform when you wake up in the morning. The first is this. You wake up in the morning, you go into the bathroom, you look in the mirror, and you say, No! And then once you've settled that with the flesh, you've looked at yourself in the mirror and you said, no. Then you go, you grab your Bible, you sit down and you get in the Word. Spend time in your Bible and you pray. The flesh needs to be told no once in a while. The flesh needs to be starved and the spirit needs to be strengthened. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Friends, the antidote to the flesh is not the law. The antidote to the flesh is not an external set of rules for you to look to and guide you. It's the Spirit. The solution to this war going on inside of you between the flesh and the Spirit is to not pit your own body against it because you'll never win. You'll never win. It's your natural nature to be in the flesh. You can try all you want. You can read as many self-help books as you want. You can try really, really hard, <laughs> really hard, but you'll never overcome the flesh by your own doing. And so the answer is to surrender to the Spirit living inside of you. Surrender to the Spirit and be led by Him. It's not a neutral act. It's not, it just happens. You need to be walking by the Spirit so that you desire to obey God in love. Choose, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me, my house will serve the Lord. And when you walk and you obey the Lord, you have this amazing freedom that we talked about last week. Remember, you're now free. You're free to live in the grace and 
and love of Jesus Christ, and you're no longer bound by the flesh, you're no longer bound by the law, and it's not to say that it'll be a piece of cake and that you'll never have a battle again, but now you have ultimate freedom as the Holy Spirit leads you and as you choose to walk in the Spirit. But then the problem could be this, some might say. Well, the problem with that is this abuse of the new internal guide that you now have. It can be an open door, some might say, to follow your own flesh. They might say, well, you can't just have your own internal guide because what if people abuse that? And you need an external set of laws so that we know uh, what we can and, and can't do. You know, they might say, someone might say, I have this idea that I'm going to do this or that, and I'm, I'm going to say the Holy Spirit told me to do it. Or maybe this one. Have you ever heard this one? The classic in the Christian community. Don't, if you're unmarried, don't let someone do this to you. If a nice young man or woman comes up to you and says, hey, I feel like God told me you and I are going to get married someday. <laughs> or, or that one, I've told the one of, of that guy in here, we come in early, uh, we come in early one morning, and there's a guy passed out over there with a half-drunk bottle of vodka, and he tells us, oh, an angel let me in. An angel opened the door for me, and God led me in here. When in reality, we checked the back door, and he, he let himself in <laughs> with a broken lock. <laughs> or I've heard even stories through the grapevine, not anyone in this church, but I've just heard it out there that, that people telling pastors, you know, it's just my marriage isn't working out. God's told me that we should get a divorce. And so an objection many would have to this idea of the internal guide leading you rather than an external set of laws leading you is that people will say, I want this to happen and you can't argue with me because God told me. <laughs> so don't even try because if you oppose me, then you're actually opposing God who told me that this should happen. And, and you're not obeying God. If you don't do what I want, you're not obeying God. And so Paul knows that this might be an issue. He's like, no, no, this is not, it's not how this works. So for the rest of chapter 5, uh, through into, well, just finishing chapter 5, Paul compares the works of the flesh with the fruits of the Spirit. Because yes, when you have an internal guide leading you through the path of righteousness, you know, how am I supposed to discern whether it's works of the flesh being manifested or, or fruits of the Spirit? How am I supposed to know? Well, there will be observable external things that are produced in a person's life depending on whether they are feeding the appetite of the flesh or whether they're submitting themselves to the Spirit. There will be an outward expression of the inward battle going on in someone's heart. And so let's take a look. We're going to take a look at the works of the flesh versus the fruits of the Spirit this morning. Um. Paul first starts with the works of the flesh. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, you're there. And co commentators have split this up into, they split this up into four different categories of, of sins, works of the flesh that I'll, I'll say to you, because it just helps us keep track. Maybe you're a note taker. There's kind of four categories that Paul splits these uh, works of the flesh up into because we love categories, don't we, as humans? Helps us keep everything in track. So let's just read the works of the flesh and then we'll kind of go through them one by one, and take a look at what Paul's saying here. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the works of the flesh are evident, Paul says first. They aren't a mystery. They're not hard to figure out. You know, it's fairly obvious when you stop and think about it. I think, I bet I could lay out, we could have a little bit of a game this morning, and I could flash things up on screen, and I bet very quickly you could tell me whether it's a work of the flesh or not. You know, we kind of know what is a work of the flesh and what isn't, but Paul felt it was important to be specific. Specific in the manners that the works of the flesh work in us, because we can't see we can't see the flesh that Paul's talking about here, but we can see the outward effects that result from the work of the flesh inside of us. And so the first category Paul describes is, you might say, sensual sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. So sexual immorality. Um, some of your Bibles might say adultery, fornication, referring to extramarital or premarital sex engaging in sexual acts with someone before marriage, or engaging with sexual acts with someone who is not your husband or wife. Greek word for this word is pornea, which I'm sure I don't need to explain what word we get from that Greek word. The second thing he describes is is impurity. You might say, well, I didn't engage in sexual acts with that person. You know, well, we didn't go all the way. Or, you know, I only watched a brief clip on the internet. Or, I only watch porn once a week. It hasn't overtaken my life. Friends, it's impure. It's a work of the flesh. There are no asterisks when it comes to impurity. The third thing he says, sensuality. This is the idea of being ready to flaunt your sexual nature at any time. You love to flaunt your immorality. Friends, this is one of the biggest plagues taking over our society right now. Redefining marriage, boudoir shows, drag queen story time, open up your phones, go to TikTok or Instagram, just scroll through for 30 seconds. You'll see the active, open sexual nature going on in our society, the sensuality, the, the, the readiness to flaunt the sexual immorality. That's what Paul's talking about here, sensuality, work of the flesh. The second set of categories that Paul tells us about is religious sins. The first, sensual sins. The second, religious sins. Idolatry, the worship of God, any other God, other than the true living God of the Bible. You put any item before God, you trust in any God, other than the God of the Bible to be your Savior, that's idolatry. But it's more than that even. It's not even just that, because you might say, well, I, I believe in the God of the Bible, but I don't believe that the God of the Bible, he's, he'll let everyone into heaven, right? Friends, when you put your own thoughts and feelings towards the Bible, towards the God of the Bible, that's idolatry, <laughs> That's the works of the flesh. That's you serving the God of your own opinion. Sorcery, Greek word pharmakia, literally using drugs, using 
drugs to alter your state of mind for the use of fleshly pleasure? William Barclay says this. He says, this literally means the use of drugs. It came to be very specially connected with the use of drugs for sorcery of which the ancient world was full. So the work of the flesh leads us to sexual sin, leads us to religious sin. The third category Paul talks about here, which is the biggest category he has for us, is social sins. Look at it. Sixth thing he describes for us, enmity. You could also say hatred, uh, inner motivation of the heart. The fruit of the Spirit has an inner motivation of love, like we talked about last week. The works of the flesh has an inner motivation of enmity against their fellow man, hatred against their fellow man. See, this is the thing about the law. The law can be made to punish men who act upon their enmity, but no law can cure the enmity that's found in a man's heart due to the work of the flesh. Paul goes on, he says, strife, a combative and argumentative spirit, some might say drama, You know what generates views and clicks nowadays? Drama, strife, that's a work of the flesh. Jealousy, the desire to have what someone else has. Fits of anger, a sudden flash of anger. We're talking Hulk-like, flashpoint of anger. (laughs) Anger that just changes you, unable to control your emotions, and you just freak out. You guys know anybody like that? I'm sure you probably do. You ever been around someone that you're just walking on pins and needles because you're a little worried about their just their emotions change in an instant? A little scared to say something wrong in case it throws them in a fit of rage and anger? That's the work of the flesh. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, basically forming tribes, standing apart from one another, putting others down so that you can be made higher. The kind of person whose first question is, well, what's in it for me? And what's it going to cost you before we move ahead here? Next thing he says, the last thing in social, in, uh, in uh, what category am I in here? Social sins is envy. And this is different from jealousy in that it, it's not wanting what someone else has, but it's rather being bitter because someone else has it and you don't. <laughs> Usually envy and jealousy kind of go hand in hand together having grief because someone else is good. Which brings us to the fourth category. I got my categories all mixed up here. I got social sins twice. That's not going to work. I don't know what this last category is. Public categories, let's say. Category of openness in the public. He says drunkenness, work of the flesh. And so there might be some debate here. Some of you might even want to talk to me after about it because you feel strongly about this way, about whether you can have even a a sip of alcohol or not. I think we can all agree on this. Drunkenness is a sin. Not simply falling down blackout drunk. We're not even, that. yes, that's a sin. But just even simply altering your state of mind through the effects of alcohol, that's a working of the flesh. Orgies, some might say revelries, some of your versions might say revelries, referring to more than just just general partying and having a good time. Nothing wrong with having a good time. We like to have a good time. 
but it's unrestrained partying, going beyond the simple time of having fun, but turning into uh, almost beast-like in your inability to restrain yourself and say no. And then Paul finishes the works of the flesh, and he says things like these. So these aren't an exhaustive list, just in case something was missed. Paul doesn't say, hey, there might be more, but this is a good list of the works of the flesh that you need to be careful of. And look at the end of verse 21. He says this, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live after the flesh. Somebody whose whole goals are to chase after the flesh. Somebody who doesn't have the ability to say no to the flesh. Someone who gives open battleground to let the flesh take over. Not people who stumble once in a while. Because we all stumble once in a while. We're like a scorpion. (laughs) It's in our nature. (laughs) We can't help it sometimes. And it's, Paul isn't saying this to those who make a mistake once in a while, but those who chase after the flesh, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are people who continue on in the works of the flesh, who ignore the promptings of the Spirit. It doesn't matter if you think God will save everyone. (laughs) That's idolatry. But now understand this, that isn't to say that they don't have the opportunity to be saved. Look at 1 Corinthians. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. He says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul saying, this used to be you, but not anymore. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, and you've been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit's come inside of you now. Listen to this quote from Luther. Luther says this, Christians also fall and perform the lusts of the flesh. David fell horribly into adultery. Peter also fell grievously when he denied Christ. However great as these sins were, they were not committed to spite God, but from weakness. When their sins were brought to their attention, these men did not obstinately continue in their sin, but repented. Those who sin through weakness are not denied pardon as long as they rise again and cease to sin. There is nothing worse than to continue in sin. If they do not repent, but obstinately continue to fulfill the desires of the flesh, it is a sure sign that they are not sincere. Let's look at the fruit of the Spirit now, what Paul tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. But before we take a peek, notice the different terminologies that are used. The work of the flesh the fruit of the Spirit. You know, it's a defining characteristic of how fruit is produced by abiding, by being attached to the vine. Fruit, how many times do you walk by a tree and go, boy, <laughs> a lot of blood, sweat, and tears coming out of that tree. <laughs> you don't see a tree struggling to create fruit. The fruit is a natural byproduct of being attached to the tree a natural outpouring of being led by the Holy Spirit and abiding in the vine is the following fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said this in John 15, I am the vine, 
you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now also understand this, that this isn't the gifts of the Spirit. We're not talking about the gifts of the Spirit here. We need to separate these two. This isn't a single gifting that, that the Holy Spirit can dole out as needed or desired. Think of the fruit of the Spirit here that we're about to look at as a cluster of grapes, you might say. It's a whole package. As you're being led by the Spirit, you don't say, well, <laughs> I have peace and patience, but let someone else in the body have gentleness and self-control. <laughs> that's for someone else to have. Ah, those aren't, those aren't, that's not the fruit of the Spirit for me. No, friends, the fruit of the Spirit is expressed in the whole package, all these together. You don't get to pick and choose one or the other. So what does it look like when someone walks in the Spirit? We'll look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You could say love is the defining feature of the whole fruit of the Spirit. Like we talked about last week, use your freedom as an opportunity through love to serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. The primary fruit of the Spirit is love, and you could almost just leave it at that, but, but that word has a far deeper meaning than any dictionary definition could do it justice for. And Paul goes on and he extrapolates what the love of the fruit of the Spirit looks like. He says this, it's joy. It's more than just simply being happy about something. You know, it's not, oh, my team won. Yay. It's more than that. It's the unfleeting joy that has resulted from the knowledge of Jesus Christ overcoming death and sin on the cross for you. It's the type of joy that doesn't wane over time. Peace. Not just peace amongst men. You know, it's not just the absence of drama, but it's freedom from trouble. It's a peace from God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this. You might know it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Listen to this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Man, what an amazing promise from God. Peace of God, which transcends all understanding. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Next thing Paul says is patience. Some of your versions might say long-suffering. Type of patience that God has for you. Now you should have for others. You don't think God is patient and long-suffering? Sometimes we think he's too patient, too long-suffering. But man, just think, how, how long ago should I have been just smited down? I should have been struck down years ago, yet God is patient with me. Now you too be patient. Kindness and goodness. There's a generosity and helpfulness that outflows out of you when you're being led by the Spirit. Being willing to help others without any sort of benefit to yourself. Faithfulness. Being reliable. You know who's faithful? God. God is faithful to you. All things are worked together for good for those who love God. God is faithful to you, that he says he will do what he says he will do. Are you faithful to God? Are you faithful to others around you? Are you reliable? Gentleness. Some of your versions might say meekness. Power under control. Not turning into the Hulk at the flip of a switch. Some of you uh, Marvel fans, I like the new version of, of the Hulk. 
Bruce Banner, melded into one. He's got the power of the Hulk and the brains of Bruce Banner, melded into one man all the time. Gentleness, power under control. Self-control, the ability to look in the mirror and say no. You wake up and you say no. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Don't give in to everything that the flesh desires, not only for yourself, but for others' sake as well. And look at what Paul says. Against such things there is no law. Why? Because you don't need the law. If you're abiding in the Spirit and you're led by the Spirit, then you're producing love, you're producing joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and your life will be overflowing with these characteristics. When you stay attached to the vine and the question of, well, is this or isn't this a work of the Spirit? Well, you can look at these attributes and weigh it for yourself. Look at verse 24. And if you haven't, if I've been going too long, now's the time to listen up. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Look at this. This is so good. This is so good. Don't miss this. What then shall we do with the flesh, the battle going on inside of us? What do I do, you might be saying? I want to live by the Spirit. I want to have the fruits of the Spirit expressed in my life. I don't want the old man to come back and take hold of me but what do I do with the flesh? Crucify it. Crucify it. But this is a past tense use here that Paul says. He says, when you come to Christ Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that Jesus paid the substitutionary price for you for the atonement of your sins, when you repent from your sins, your flesh is crucified with Christ on the cross powerless. Passions and desires that it pretends it has over you, it has nothing over it. it. has nothing over you. You don't crucify it because of your own ability. Rather, you can crucify it because Christ has already been crucified. He's already taken that burden on of putting the death to the flesh. Once you've come to Christ, the flesh has no power. It seems like it does all the time, doesn't it? Every day. But through the help of Jesus Christ, you can nail on the cross the flesh. It's powerless over you. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And now this is an exhortation for those of you here this morning who say you live by the Spirit. If you're here and you say, yes, I live by the Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then friends, keep in step with the Spirit. Do you feel like there's times when the works of the flesh are creeping back into your life? There's things that you can see in your day-to-day. You might be sitting there going, yeah, that was a work of the flesh. Yeah, that, uh, now, that, now that we go through that list, yeah, that was a work of the flesh. Crucify those things, friends. And keep in step with the Spirit. Don't fall behind you got to keep up. you got to keep up. Don't fall into a state of complacency because we all know our natural state. The natural state is a state of the flesh. And you're a new person through Christ. You say you live by the Spirit, friends. Well, then let's go. <laughs> Start living it. You might say you live by the Spirit, You say you live by the Spirit inside of you, but all you can think about is where that leash ends. 
Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, I exhort you, live it. Live it. Serve one another in love. You're free. The burden of the law is no longer governing you. The works of the flesh is no longer your natural nature. You're a child of God. Abide in Jesus Christ and watch the fruit of the Holy Spirit be shown in the outward expression of the inward battle that's going on in you right now.